for the Harvest Project. Diane's, uh, I say, traveled the world, uh, and uh, she will probably share more of this, but uh, just supports indigenous missionaries around the world, indigenous ministers around the world. Um, she's got a good word for us this morning, so uh, soak it up. Bless you. All right. If you want to reel the kids in, you can get them to come in here. Yeah, that'd be, well, that might be nice. I like kids. Okay, kids. Kids want to be on the front? Um, I'm a little hot, a little hot. You guys on the sofa in the back, you want to come up because this is some adventure. I need some boys up in the front because I won't bore you, I promise. You guys come up here. God is not boring and he does not want to bore junior high boys. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm a little I'm feeling a little reverb, it's a little echoey. There we go. Yeah, I can. Would that help? Is that gonna be better? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay, so one more time. How many have never heard me before? Quite a few, okay. Okay, I gotta get a little Okay, so let's begin with prayer. Father, uh, time is short, and there's so much on your heart. And so I pray that you would somehow do your Holy Spirit Reader's Digest condensed version so that we can pack all you want to wallop into us in the time frame that you've given us. I thank you for the message on the back of this board, a verse we've probably all heard over and over again, make it fresh. For God so loved the world. For God so loved every person in the world. For God so loved every person in the Twin Cities. For God so loved every person sitting in this room. For God so loved our neighbors. For God so loved the people serving coffee at Starbucks. For God so loved every unreached people group that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, may the lover of our souls So fill us and possess us that we can do nothing but so love. I ask in his name. Amen. So my heart feels really like emotional today, like um, not so normally emotional. I feel like I I just want to weep. But I want to read something to you to start off. I'm going to probably use this passage as bookends. Um, to what I want to share, and it's from Numbers chapter 13. As we look about being on outreach, as we look about 
going outside, as we look about, in a sense, um, sharing with the lost and possessing, see the Lord possess lost souls, we can have some fear about that. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a lot of fear in my life, not so much now, but in the past, about witnessing and about sharing the gospel. It felt intimidating. I didn't feel like I had what I needed. It didn't, it didn't feel like I could really do that. But here's what it says in Numbers chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 26. This is after the spies came back, the 12 spies came back from exploring the land of Canaan, the land that they were supposed to go in and possess. First, they scouted it out. When they scouted it out, they came back with this report. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly, which was millions, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. See, here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then um, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, wait a minute, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They're the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we know we looked the same to them. That is many times what keeps us from being involved in outreach. Because we look at the lost people who are around us, and we see some of the strongholds, and we hear some of the religious beliefs, and we see demonic attack, and we think, whoo! I think I'm just going to huddle up with my Bible study and my prayer meeting and my group of Christians because those lost people out there, they're giants. And what they believe is huge. And there's evil spirits out there. And we're not able to go get them. So let's have another Bible study. And let's have another sing fest. And let's have another worship service. And let's have another prayer meeting. Because the giants are huge. My heart from today is that we will come out of this time, maybe begin this time, with more of an attitude that the psalmist had in Psalms 126. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. I just, when we were in worship today, I just felt like I wanted to weep for the Twin Cities. 
um, just like, you know what? There's nothing fun about being lost. There really is not much fun about being lost. Yeah, there can be a little fun for a season, but lost is horrible. Lost is hell. Uh, there's not a whole lot of peace. There's nothing gay about being gay. There's just not a lot of gayness in it. There's just not a lot of joy in Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. And so today I want to give you a little heads up on the Twin Cities um, and just what is here in the land that God has called us to possess. What is the makeup of the land? And do we see this land as as giants in our land and we're not able to possess the Twin Cities because we see our own selves like grasshoppers or are we so like, yeah, the love of God has captivated us. We're so amazed by the majesty and the bigness of Jesus. We know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We've got the example of one who showed us how you love lost people. And we just say, I can do this. I'm just going to follow the one who said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He'll make us. Like, he'll make us. He'll teach us. The greatest fisher of men is going to show us how to fish. You guys like fishing? You been fishing? You ever been out on a boat and caught a big one? Well, the Lord says he's going to teach you guys how to catch big ones. There's nothing on the whole little boys and girls like to do than go fishing if they know they're going to nail a lunker, right? If you can, wouldn't you like to catch a fish about this big today, weighing about 20 pounds? Have that sucker fight on your line for a good half hour? Feel like your pole is being bent in half? That's what the Lord said. The Lord said, you come follow me and I'll show you where the lunkers are. I don't know about you. I want to catch a lunker. Like the biggest lost lunker in the Twin Cities. Wouldn't that be great? So um, Tim said, God wants to upgrade you. I just want to share real briefly. Um, Yes, I believe that that was a... Where are you, Tim? Where are you, Tim? Oh, right there. I, I believe that was a prophetic word because I was just telling some young couple right back there, I grew up an hour and a half from here in Grantsburg, Wisconsin. You just go up the freeway, you get to about Rush City, Pine City area, go east on Highway 70. The first town across the river is Grantsburg. That's my little town. Um, I'm not going to get into a lot of details about that except to say when I graduated right from here down the road at Bethel, graduated from Bethel University, God called me back to my little town. At that time, it was 969 people. And I spent 20 years from 1980 to 2000 doing nothing but um, ministering to people in my little town. I was not involved in the world. I didn't know Hindu. It's white on rice up there. It's basically <laughs> Swedes, Norwegians, and Germans. There's not a lot of ethnic diversity. Um, I think the first time I got close to a black person was when I was 12 years old. Uh, we only saw them on TV. You know, they didn't exist in our area. And so the Lord definitely has upgrade for us when we're faithful to the loss that are around us. And when I was 22 years old, I mean, this verse hit me like a ton of bricks when I left Bethel. And I would drive around my area and just 
cry for lost people. I'd see, I'd see a beer truck pull into my town to bring beer up to the bars, and I'd sob. Because I grew up, I wasn't sheltered. I didn't have homeschool or private school or Christian school. I had Grantsburg Public School. Virginity was on the endangered species list. Everybody was, I mean, we lived to party. It just, the community would say if someone was in, brought into the hospital in a coma from an overdose of alcohol, the parents would say, thank God it wasn't drugs. I'm serious. It was just live to be hammered and grow your own pot. I mean, it doesn't just grow corn and soybeans and alfalfa up in Grantsburg. Everybody has a wild patch. Grow your own. I grew up knowing what loss was. And God called me back to that area. And I used to, yeah, and I knew lost by name. It wasn't a word on a blackboard. It was... They went to school, so they were my classmates. And so I would climb the fire tower illegally at night. I'm not supposed to climb the fire tower, but it wasn't exactly blocked off. And so my friend and I would be like firemen, and we'd climb up that, I don't know, 40-foot like silo. And we would stand at the top of the fire tower, and by the way, we could see Minneapolis-St. Paul. The lights of the city were clear from there, and we would pray and cry. In fact, um, the gal that I worked with for 10 years sent me a text last night, and um, she said, I'm sitting at a concert with the oldies. I'm listening to uh, Twyla Paris and Larnell Harris and uh, who else was there, but she said they just sang... Twyla just sang the song, The Warrior is a Child. They don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and cry for just a while because deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. Um, I cried more for my little town than any place in the world I've ever cried for. Um, I started doing bar ministry. You know, when the God that so loved the world lives inside of you, you don't have to have an agenda, you don't have to have a program, you don't have to have a track. Because out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water, and out of your eyes are light so bright to a dark world that they have to do like the people did when Moses came from meeting with God. The countenance that you have glows so bright that a lost world can't help but see it. We never went into the bars, ever. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this. I'm just saying I never went into a bar carrying a Bible or carrying a track. I just walked into the bar with the love of Jesus inside of me for lost people. That's all. And you know what? There wasn't a night that my friend and I didn't have people come up to us and want to know about God. I mean, you guys are Christians, right? You know, tell us. Or I remember the night that the... Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and uh, some other crazy group was on so loud in somebody's party at their house, everybody drinking, and there's a gal sitting next to me yelling over the top of Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones, I've heard that Jesus 
is going to come back like that baby that was born. Tell me something about that. She's yelling in a party. So I, I'm yelling back just as there's a space between the songs and people hear Jesus is coming back. Or the lull in the room. I believe that the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing today, I fully believe this, is because I spent 20 years just simply loving the lost where I lived. I, I, I'm not saying that in any arrogant way. I just think that that upgrade came from the Lord saying, I need people like you who love the lost. And I'll send you everywhere as long as you love the lost because there's a lot of lost people out there so here's the twin cities i should say this to you you kids remember this here's a thumb right thumbs up there's five different major kinds of lost people in the world this is an acronym thumbs there's tribals tribal people believe in animism, spiritism. They believe in the spirit in the tree and the spirit in the moon and the spirit in the water and the spirit in the eagle and the spirit in the fish and the spirit in the tree. And there's spirits everywhere and they have personalities and you can tick them off and you can bug them. And when you do, they'll come for you. And you'll get sick or you'll get cancer or your baby will die. And it's all about what you did to anger the spirits. People that believe in tribalism, animism, spiritism, live consumed by fear. Fear grips them. Then there's Hinduism. That's your H. You got the T for tribalism. H is Hinduism. There are 320 million gods in Hinduism. Polytheism, like you can't believe, because for every possible thing they can imagine, they've got to have a god for it. And, so, and you've got to try to please 320 million. So if you're struggling to, have, to get pregnant and have a baby, then you have to pray to the goddess of fertility. They're specialist gods, right? And so you've got the goddess of death, the goddess of fertility, the goddess for blessing the crops. You've got to have all these different gods because they can only do one thing each. So you need 320 million for the 320 million things you might need in your life because they don't have one god that's big enough to do it all. Okay, then in Hinduism, you have good karma and bad karma, right? You've got the good luck and the bad luck. And if you do good stuff, you'll probably get good karma. And if you do bad stuff, you're going to get bad karma. So your really only hope is that you will recycle yourself. You guys ever do any recycling at home where you got to put your pop cans here if it's aluminum and you put your paper here and you put your plastic here? Well, that's basically humanism. They believe that we're recycled. And so if you've led a bad life, your hope, cross your fingers, is that you're going to be recycled and reincarnated and come back in the next life in a little nicer, better form than the one you are now. Your ultimate hope is that sometime, if you are a girl, that you will be good enough someday in some lifetime to be recycled as a boy. 
because boys are better than girls. So if you can recycle as a boy, you have a hope. It's a tremendous, tremendous bondage to try to find in Hinduism the one God that's kind. Where is the good one? I, I, 320 million, how am I going to ever get to know them all? And so you just got to cherry pick your gods from the tree and hope that the gods you cherry picked to put in your home to make idols and shrines in your place might be some nice ones that will look with kindness on you and your family. Got that one? Hinduism. Polytheism to the nth degree. Then there's unreligious. That's the third one. So you've got tribals, you've got Hindus, you've got unreligious. Unreligious are basically, we know them as communist countries, we might say. China, Vietnam, those parts of the world where Russia, where they don't believe that there's a God. Um, they believe in the God of humanism. People are all we've got. And so why do we need a God? That's, I mean, a God, that's a figment of your imagination. It's something stupid people create because they're so lame that they can't grab themselves by the bootstraps, stand up, and use their minds. Okay? And so in unreligious, communist, um, atheists, we don't, we don't need God. God is those religious kooks made up this being in the figment of their own imagination so they could have a crutch to prop up their poor souls. So they believe in the power of the people. They believe that when you're dead, that's it. Live a good life. Um, believe in science. We make our own world by the education we get, the decisions we make, the money we make. We create heaven on earth or hell on earth by our own power. We... The evolution, that's the exact reason why they believe in evolution. Because to believe in creation is to believe in a God that they know doesn't exist. So they have to believe in evolution because that gives them this whole, their whole world view then of it's, it's all about us. And when you die, you're just like any other animal, dig a hole, put you in the ground, and that's it. There's no life after death. That, that's, again, something religious people believe that tries to give them some carrot out there to give them hope. But they know better than that. The unreligious know. There's no heaven. There's no hell. They just, again, this is some fairy tale that religious people made up. But we believe, can you imagine where all you got is you? And you got to figure it all out on your own. There's no, you can get a manual for your car, and you can get a manual for every single thing you buy, or you can get a video for how it works. But for your life, you don't have any manual, you don't have any video, because no one created you. So it's just you, and figure it out, and make your own heaven or hell by the education you get, the money you make, the person you marry, the decisions you make, that will create your world. And then there's Muslims. Muslims are like us in that they are monotheistic. They do believe in one God. Their God is not the same God as ours. Their God is Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. There is no, but, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. That's their chant. 
Allah's nothing like Jehovah. Don't let anybody tell you that those two gods are the same. Allah is full of hate. The God teaches them to hate. Their holy book is not about for Allah so loved the world that he gave his son. Or that for Allah so loved the world that he gave Muhammad. Allah teaches that the lovers of God, the lovers of Jesus, are the enemies of Allah. They're the enemies of Allah. We're the great infidels. The great Satan even. Um, we are the ones that need to be eliminated because we stand in the way of their God's goals. I don't want to go into detail except to share this because kids are here. Muhammad was a pedophile. He married a seven-year-old, but thank God he waited to consummate their marriage till she was nine. There's a, there's a lot of information about Muhammad that followers of Islam do not know. But this is a religion of works, too. It's a religion. There's, there's things that you can respect about it. One, they pray five times a day. If you're a serious Muslim, you pray at 5 a.m. Wherever I go in the world, wherever there are Muslims or there are mosques, that call to prayer rings at 4.30 or so in the morning. And there are people, millions of people, every day all over the world, dragging themselves out of bed to go pray at 5 o'clock, again at 8 o'clock, again at about noon, again at about 5 o'clock, again at about 8 o'clock. They are diligent, those that are serious Muslims, are diligent to pray five times a day. They are diligent to set a month out of their year aside for fasting. They are diligent to cry out to Allah in the night of power that the, the, the spirit world of the Muslims will empower them with power from Allah. That they will receive power from on high. They're diligent about fasting and prayer. They have um, they have in their, in their belief system, too, a love for the poor. They believe that part of their religion should include um, gifts and care and compassion for the poor. But as we see around the world, you don't have to look too far. We experienced it in our own country. The more radical you are in this belief system, the more you will be filled with hate from the one who teaches it. You become like the one you follow. I know this is strong language in a place that we'll talk about, but Islam is a peaceful religion. No, the Quran is not a peaceful book. It's not a peaceful book. And those that radically follow this religion do not come become peace-loving compassionate people. They do things like fly into buildings. They do things like what I was watching Fox News last night about the radicalism. We're not even knowing if we go to war in Syria. It's kind of like flip a coin. Who are you going to go after? Evil Ashad, who has killed 110,000 of his own people, or this Muslim Brotherhood coalition 
that's coming together, that's for the most part, whatever countries they've come from, are radical Muslim believers that are trying, their goal is take over Syria so that it become, become a strategic Muslim Brotherhood state so that they can ally the, align themselves with Iran because Iran is Shiites and that part of the world is Sunnites, is Sunnis. And so it's really two different even kinds of Muslims warring over Syria to see who can get, take the strategic foothold to, to conquer their own special Islamic belief. And the world is being, I think that's why the rest of the world, we supposedly have a president that understands Islam like no other president. The rest of the world is standing back. They don't want to touch this sucker with a 10-foot pole because they know what it's about. It's crazy. But we, in America is being drawn into this dark Islamic Muslim war and and being pulled into that because that's what Islam is about. It's this fostering, and it's a billion of them. It's fostering a religion of hate, the emotion is hate, with the goal of world dominance. With the goal of the world all becoming followers of Allah. Not for God so loved the world that he sent his son. Because the supreme one in Islam is not Jesus, but it is Muhammad. Muhammad, who is his prophet. Then we have Buddhism. I promise I'll get back to, uh, I'll get back to the Twin Cities. You'll see all this tie together. So Buddhism is an interesting religion too. The best way for me to describe Buddhism is cycles or circles. Buddhism is circles of futility. It is, it is, you guys, any of you guys have had hamsters? Have you ever had a hamster? What do they do on the wheel? Can they do it a long time? Have you ever watched your hamster? And where, where do they go? Nowhere, right? That's Buddhism. <laughs> Buddhism is like people becoming hamsters. They spin in circles and they're in a cage of bondage. They're in a cage of a, a lie. And so they spin in circles and they go nowhere. This is what it looks like. It literally is circles. So today, you would come here, if this was your Buddhist temple, and you would begin to walk clockwise around the Anderson house, all of us. And this is what we would do all day. We would walk clockwise around the Anderson house, all of us. Now, you think the neighbors think this house is a little spooky now? You think the neighbors think this house is a little strange now? Wait till they see about 100 people walking all day long in circles around the Anderson household. Now, while we're walking in circles, we are also having our prayer wheel. It's a wheel. It's also a circle, right? We are spinning our wheel as we walk in circles. Because in my wheel are prayers to Buddhas, to Buddha. So I'm spinning my, well, I'm going this way. I'm spinning this. You've got to be a little coordinated. You can't be a Swede for this one. If you want to be a Buddhist, don't be a Swede or a Norwegian and a Buddhist because we can hardly walk and chew gum, much less do this and this at the same time. Okay, so then 
while you're walking in circles, spinning your prayer wheel, if you have two hands, you use your other hand to rub your prayer beads, which are also in a circle around your neck. And so you rub your bead one at a time as you spin your prayer wheel, as you walk in circles all day long. Does this sound numbing? Does this sound like, whew? I would, I'd literally look at these people and weep. And I'd come back to wherever I'm staying and go, oh, Jesus, I like you so much. Huh. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not an exercise in futility. Thank you that following you, I don't have to do all these good works. I watched young couples like you guys, hardcore, man. They want Buddha to touch them, and they're doing, as they're walking in circles and as they're doing all this, they're doing prostration pilgrimages where they kneel down, you lay yourself out flat, you skid yourself out flat in front of you, then you pull yourself back up and you stand back up. You walk about three steps to the dog and you do that again. You walk about three more steps and you do that again as you go in a circle. Literally, you can find people like roadkill in the ditches like deer in Wisconsin in November that have been working so hard to please the gods, they've just died on the side of the road. But not to worry because Buddhism also is about reincarnation. So thank God that dead dog will come back in another life. And so here's the goal of Buddhism. The goal of Buddhism is to obtain the perfect state of nothingness. Heaven is nothing. Can you imagine how anyone could be captivated by such a lie as this, that my goal is to obtain that perfect state of literally it's of nothing. So in order to obtain the state of nothing, we have to kill desire. Because all desire is for something. Right? And so desire is evil. Because it runs counter to nothing. So to desire something is to be wicked. So you must kill desire by numbing yourself like a hamster in your cage. And I looked into the eyes of Buddhists, and you know what I saw? Nothing. Nobody's home. Nobody is home. So, that's your thumb. Tribals, Hindus, unreligious, Muslim, Buddhist. Those are the five major blocks of lost people. They're in one of those camps. Um, and there's others, but that's the primary blocks. Obviously, there's Judaism. There's others as well. But those blocks are the major blocks of the world that we want to reach. How am I doing on time, Tim? Yeah, I'm good still? <laughs> so here, in light of all of that, here's the Twin Cities. Here's your backyard. So I want to say, um, before we launch into this, that there's, this is the largest city in the United States in terms of mega churches per capita. This is viewed by the United States as a strategic Christian city. This is a city in the heartland of America. 
Um, you go on the East Coast. I have friends that live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Within an hour and a half, two hours, a little more from Lancaster is almost every major city. This is a horse and buggy community. It's where you, the smell of manure is everywhere. Corn is growing everywhere. And New York City is close by. And New Jersey is close by. And Philadelphia is close by. And Washington, D.C. is close by. And Baltimore is close by. All of these people can have, except New York, can have about an hour and a half drive and be in the land of horse and buggies. Not true for the Twin Cities. The only close big city to us is Chicago. So here we are, this wonderful, amazing city in the heartland of the United States, knowing as being conservative and good people and welcoming and moral and hardworking and upstanding and better families and Swedes and Norwegians and Germans who said to a hurting world, come live with us. Who opened the arms of our hearts, our lives, our cities, our city, our workplaces, and said, we know your lives have been hell. We've seen it on the news. Come to Minneapolis and St. Paul. The light is on and the door is open, which is a great thing. Come, be a part of us. You'll find refuge here. You'll find safety here. You'll find jobs here. You'll find peace here. You'll find good schools here. You'll find a good place to raise your family here. And so Minneapolis-St. Paul became known around the world. No matter if you lived in a culture where it never got below 80 degrees. <laughs> For it always blows my mind. If you've sweat all your life, why would you pick the Twin Cities? If you've never known a temperature below 80, why would you come here? Because while there's not physical warmth, it came to the Twin Cities because they heard that there were warm people. And so they brought their religions with them. And all over the Twin Cities are little like Saudi Arabia with Mecca and Medina, there's little clusters of people groups that have come and not dispersed themselves, but have come and like set up camp, set up a mini country within the Twin Cities and brought their gods and their idols and their beliefs with them. So I'm going to just run through a list um, I don't know where to really even start, but I'll just, yeah, I'll just hit it. The Twin Cities, this is not about any of the things that I, well, I'm going to leave, save this one for last. The Phillips neighborhood is an interesting neighborhood. Down there by Bethlehem Baptist, not too far from the stadium. The Phillips neighborhood is the most diverse ethnic neighborhood in the entire United States with over 100 different people groups represented in that one neighborhood. Not even L.A. can come close to the Phillips neighborhood of Minneapolis. Phillips neighborhood also has the largest concentration of Native Americans in any city of the world. The largest concentration of Native Americans is in Minneapolis. 
St. Paul has the largest Hmong community in the United States. The University of Minnesota has the largest Chinese population in the United States. You're going to hear biggest, largest a lot. We're going to have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why? The Buddhist population in the Twin Cities is home to the second largest Tibetan Buddhist population in the entire United States. The only city that has more Tibetan Buddhists in it is New York. It is also home to the largest Cambodia Buddhist temple in the nation. The largest, well, the largest Buddhist temple in the nation is located in Minneapolis-St. Paul. The largest Hindu temple. Now go back to that thumb, so you're hearing a lot of thumb stuff. So we got the largest Buddhist, we got the largest Hindu temple in America, is in the Twin Cities, located in Maple Grove. There are over 150,000 Muslims in the Twin Cities, with over 100 Muslim mosques, and Minneapolis has been strategically chosen as the location for the new $48 million, 300,000 square foot Muslim Youth Center Mosque. It will be the first and only one of its kind in America. Obviously, there are some strategic brains in the Muslim world behind the choice of this city and the choice of 48 million and the choice of 300,000 square feet and the choice of targeting youth. It is the largest, highest, which concentration in the country with an estimated 20,000 witches who meet in 236 different covens or groups. Many of them strategically placed purposefully across the street from some of the best churches in the city. Uh, the advocate in their February edition for the GLBT, standing for Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transvestite magazine, ranked Minneapolis as the nation's number one most appealing gay metropolis to live in, ahead of San Francisco and New York. We are a magnet for all of this. Wow, isn't that amazing? Okay, a little bit more. The Dalai Lama has visited the Twin Cities several times. This is a city, and he is the supreme leader. He is the voice of Buddhism. This is an important city to the Dalai Lama. He has come here and granted his permission and has prayed his blessings to establish the, the Gayoto Wheel of Dharma Monastery in Minneapolis. Now, I want you to listen closely to this.
The Dalai Lama only has two of these. One was in Tibet where he established the Gyoto Monastery in Tibet before he was forced out of Tibet and exiled to India by the Chinese government decades ago. So when he left his favorite monastery, the Gyoto one, which was the seat of his power, he then fled to India, to Dharmaling, something like that. That's the only other Gyoto monastery that exists in the world. One in Tibet, where he first lived, and one where he lives now, and the third in Minneapolis. Out of all the cities of the world, Minneapolis. I mentioned the largest Hindu temple. I mentioned the uh, Muslim monastery, uh, or the Muslim mosque that's going up. Okay, so this is where we really need the Holy Spirit to show us what the heck is going on. Because there is a lot of cities in America. This is why I think, you know why I think this is going on, my personal view? is because we're so important to God. That's what I think. Whenever there's a strong offense, there's going to be a defense. You guys are in sports? Do you have a favorite sport? What is it? Basketball? Okay. It's no fun to just go out and just, it's, you know, you can shoot hoops all by yourself. But don't you feel better when you can take on an opponent and beat him? Don't you feel better when you as a guard or as a point man can go around them or shoot over them, and you have deep, the, the stronger the defense, the better you feel about your offense, right? It brings out the best in you. I think that, well, I don't just think, I know. There have been prophetic words spoken over this city. This city is important to God. This city is strategic to God. It is strategic for the United States. It is strategic in many, many ways, in science, in business, in what used to be a stronger moral voice, the churches that have been planted here, the people that have come here, God has marked this city for himself. And all of hell knows it. There have been, I don't believe that Satan is all-knowing. There's only one person that's omniscient, and it's our God. But anything spoken, anything written, anything said, anything observed, hell can see and hell can read and hell can know. So when there's a prophecy spoken over this city, hell trembles. Okay, so what happens? We got to bring in some more defense, right? Let's get in, let's get in the number one Hindu place. Let's get in the number one Buddhist place. Let's get in the number one mosque place. Oh, they have communitas happening on Tuesday night. Let's invest $48 million and let's have our own youth place so that we'll counter Anderson's household on Tuesday nights. We'll suck in youth to a three... This is a little less than 300,000 square feet, right? And a little under $48 million? Okay, you see, the, you see the amount of money that hell will invest? The amount of time, the amount of people? What if the kingdom of God was as strategic as hell? Come on! What if we were investing $48 million to have the best youth center in all of, the, all of the world? What if we were going after it like that? What if we were using media and technology? 
Hell is coming at the cities. Like, it's like, it's like, like that, right now we have these people positioning around Syria, right? So what if the kingdom of God was like that? Because hell has brought in their tomahawk missiles. Hell has brought in their submarines. Hell has their fighter jet pilots on the ships ready to just come and bomb the Twin Cities. Right? But, so how are we going to see this? What did I read to you? And we came back with this report. We saw the land of the Twin Cities. And there are giants there. Not just any giant, the biggest and the meanest and the toughest giant. They're number one. The meanest giants of Buddhism are there. The biggest giants of Hinduism are there. The biggest giants of the gay lesbian movement are there. The biggest giants of the witches are there. And this needs to be our position. And in all of this, we see them like grasshoppers. Because like David, a 16-year-old kid, we say, we're well able to take this city. Just give me a loincloth, a slingshot, and five little pebbles. We'll take her down. I mean, really, right? This is a 16-year-old boy. When I mean, the king is saying, you know what? You're not seasoned. You're not experienced. You don't know what you're doing. Here's my armor. Put this on. He puts this on. He can hardly move. I mean, he's just got laden with armor because the giant is big. And David just, you know, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, sir, but I don't need all this crap. Right? I don't need this stuff because I know God. And the God I know, when I was younger, like these guys' age, I took on a bear that was coming after one of my dad's lambs. And when I saw that big 500-pound bear coming after one of my dad's lambs, I just went out there and killed that sucker. Because he didn't look big to me. That was my dad's lamb. And that thing was not putting my dad's lamb down its throat. And then there was another time a lion came. And this lion was gobbling up ground. This lion was coming for the flock again. I just took my spear and hurled at that lion and nailed him right between the rib cage, man. I'm not scared of Goliath. He's no giant to me. He's just a puny thing with a loud noise. He barks a lot, but he has no bite with it. Right? A lot of bark and no bite. He, if we look at the Twin Cities with all I said to you, this breaks my heart. This stuff I told you breaks my heart. That many, this is the city closest to me. This is the city where I went to school. The devil thinks he can have Minneapolis? And so what is the church doing? We can't just sit back and go, are we going to be like all of Saul's men who went and cowered in their tents? Really, like, you guys really, I mean, I don't, yeah, we can cower in our Bible studies and talk real tough in here. And we can cower in our home groups and our churches and talk smart and sound big, but where the rubber hits the road is when you pick up your slingshot and your five stones. We can't talk big. we got to go out and get them. (laughs) So David goes out there, and when the giant mocks him, he's... (laughs) Who are you? 
You know what, you guys? Listen to me. There's not a demon in hell that can take you boys on with Jesus in your heart. You can handle any stronghold, any evil spirit, anything that comes against you, because you can be like David, who's just a little older than you, saying, you know what? All of you, what, you don't even need to know what I just told you about them. You don't need to know about every religious belief. All you need to know is you've got God in you. David just knew whatever the opposition is, my God's bigger. Whatever the, he didn't even focus on all the opposition. He just knew that the God in him was well able to take out any giant out there. So maybe, I don't know, if I was to be prophetic about David's five smooth stones, I'd say today he would be about them. Today David would have five smooth stones and he'd say, I'm not scared of the giant of tribalism. I'm not scared of the giant of Hinduism. I'm not scared of the giant of unreligious or communism. I'm not scared of the giant of Muslim. I'm not scared of the giant of Buddhas. Because I got five smooth stones and I only need one for each religion. And the power of Jesus in this one stone will hit that religion right between the eyes and it'll fall. Right? It'll fall. I really believe that there are strategic lost people in this city held in bondage to each of these strongholds that would have, I believe, an indigenous. None of us, I can, I can from research tell you some about these worldviews. I've not lived in them. I've not been deeply entrenched in them. To come out of them and be set free by the God that so loved the world that he gave Jesus. When those people meet Jesus, wow. So I have a little more time yet? I can tell a little story. Okay, so quick stories. I'm going to tell you a quick story from each one. So I'm in the seat of tribalism. I'm in a little village called Pagano in the Philippines. 500 people living in bamboo huts. Um, a guy, Leopoldo, like the Leopold scope for deer hunting, Leopoldo gets saved. Nobody else in his village is saved. Leopoldo is tired of the village being controlled by fear. He's tired of the ball of fire that drops from the sky and hovers over the Belite tree and paralyzes his village. And so he takes an axe and he chops down the seat of animism and spiritism in his village, the Belite tree. The Belite tree, the trunk is from here to the clock, like 12 feet across. It takes them a month, one guy with one axe chopping away as all the people hover in fear because certainly the gods of animism and spiritism are going to attack Leopoldo for taking on the, the god of tribalism. One day, the tree falls. Leopoldo stands. I've been to that village. I built a church there. Leopoldo and his friend, actually. They built the church on the site where the village always brought their sacrifices to appease the spirits. Now stands a church. Hallelujah, huh? The spirits don't control that village anymore because Jesus is there. Hinduism, whew, that's a big one. That's 1.3 billion people in India, 1.2 billion. I mean, 320 million gods, it's gut-wrenching to be in India. It's gut-wrenching. 
Not a single one of the gods are nice. So I, last time I left India, I'm in a temple in Calcutta. I'm at the most gorgeous temple in all of the city, worth multi, multi, multi millions, if not a billion. And so the priests see me come out of, um, come into the temple, and they leave the Holy of Holies, their Holy of Holies, not ours, because they notice an American is there. And they come um, to the to talk to me, and wow, my heart is at one. I'm amazed by the the money in this place, but two, my heart is breaking. And so the priest says, "Wow." You're from America, huh? And I, perfect English. Yes, sir, I am. And he says, what do you think of our temple? And I said, sir, whew, this is the most gorgeous building I have ever been in. You guys spared nothing. The gold, the silver, the precious stones, the, wow. I, I, I can't even imagine what the budget was. All I can tell you is I have never been in such an awe kind of building. But would you mind if I shared... A couple other things I've been thinking. And he said, no, go right ahead. And I said, you know, there's so many people, they have like alcoves that were worshiping idols in this temple all around like little bay windows. And you've got the multi-breasted God. You've got the goddess of death. And you've got, you know, I mean, just gods everywhere. And people are on their knees and they're weeping and they're presenting um, money and they've got rice and they've got candles burning and I said let's take a look at that one sir and I wasn't mean I just said sir I don't know where you bought that thing or who made it but I think if we were both honest you'd have to admit that whatever those eyes are made of they can't see they have eyes but they can't see there's ears on there obviously I can see that it has ears but can it hear it has a mouth but it can't speak my God sees. My God hears. My God speaks. He said, I've been in your country only a month. How many gods do you have? And he said, 320 million, ma'am. Mm. And I said, do you know them all? And he says, yes, ma'am, everyone. And I'm thinking, that's about the population of the United States that I would have to know a little more than every <laughs> single person. And you know them well. And I said, you know, sir, I only have one God. I've known him since I was a little girl, and he's so big, and he's so amazing. He is so multifaceted. I don't need him to be 320 million because he's already like 320 million in one, right? But I said, this God is really nice. His name is Jesus. He is so kind. He's so compassionate. I won't trade him for all 320 million of yours. I'm very happy with the one I have. I wish you knew him. If you knew him, you wouldn't need the other 320 million. I'm religious. Give me a, just a couple minutes on each story. I'll try to pack it in. Unreligious. I'm in China. I'm in an unreached people group. I'm in a village that hasn't heard the gospel. A guy comes up to my translator. The guy says to my translator, what's she doing here? My translator says, she's a tourist. He says, look around you. She's no tourist. How many tourists do you see here? This is not the Great Wall. This is not the terracotta soldiers. This is not, you know, 
any of these other places? It wasn't. It was a no-name village that just happened to be a place where no people had heard of Jesus. The guy keeps pressing my translator for why I'm there. It ends up that he is saying, I know she's not like any other tourist because of her eyes. So I ask my translator, what does he mean, my eyes? And he says, I've never seen love in a tourist's eyes like hers. Love pours out of her eyes. Then he says directly to me through her, um, you really love our people, don't you? It was no message, no sermon, no book, no... No Jesus film. He saw, and then he's asking me, where did that come from? Where does that come from? Because I've looked in the eyes of hundreds of tourists and I never saw this. Where does that come from? Um, I've already commented a little bit on um, Buddhism, but, uh, well, Muslim, this is a short story. There's a lady on a bus in northern Nigeria Hardcore Muslim area. My friend rides on that bus with her up to Nigeria. He tells her the story of Mary and Martha. The lady ends up because she never heard in her life a God that would let men and women sit in the same room. A God that would let a woman sit at a religious leader's feet. A God that would not backhand women who spoke disrespectfully to her. Because of four verses in the Bible, a Muslim woman gave her life to Jesus in hardcore Islamic area on a bus going up tonight. That is the extent of her Bible knowledge as far as I know to this day. Within a year, that Muslim woman shared that story about Mary and Martha with every woman she could in her village and she led 47 women to Jesus through the power of not five little stones, four little ones. Just four verses out of our whole book, and it's changing a village. <coughs> Buddhism. I'm in the Tibetan plateau. I see all those hamster wheel things. And with a lady that's there, a Tibetan background believer, I help to put... God's stories into like size of a cell phone with a solar panel on the back so that nomads wandering the wilderness with their sheep and goats can listen to stories about God on a solar player. $35 investment. It's sweeping the Tibetan plateau. And scores of people have given their lives to Jesus with no missionaries. No pastors. Just a little blue thing that wanders around. There's so much more I could say, but I want to end with this. This thought for you guys at Lydia House to wrestle with. There is the Twin Cities. Are they giants? Or are they grasshoppers? What are the five smooth stones that God wants you to pick up? How might the Holy Spirit lead us, lead you, to reach the lost in this city? Because this city cannot belong to Satan. This cannot be a city where he establishes 
his stake in the ground. He cannot take the city. The city needs to be the Lord's. So the church of Jesus Christ united. The kingdom of God, it cannot, this will not happen with the denomination. It will happen when the kingdom, when the, when the, the servants of the king work together to establish the kingdom of God in the Twin Cities. So I think we need to do what Henry Blackaby said. Watch to see where God is working and join him. And join the people of God, whatever their brand, in that part of the city to show the love of Jesus. Not through words and, and prophetic or big things. Sometimes it is a demonstration. Jesus both was proclamation and demonstration. In fact, he said, first demonstrate, then proclamate. So I think that sometimes um, love, acts of kindness, extending that here's a mattress, a bed for your family that's just coming. How can we go into a neighborhood where the Somalians are, where the Native Americans are, and simply ask, how can we serve you? What are some of the needs in your area? That if we, if we begin to strategically show the love of Jesus out of, the inner, out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. Let's go love on the Twin Cities. And you know what? They always ask. Always. Why would you care about us? Why are you doing this? There's a door big enough to drive a truck through then. But you've earned the right to be heard because you have demonstrated the love of Jesus. So let's uh, close. Sarah, what did you hear? Just speak out good and loud. What did you like about what you heard? Huge God, life. Pardon? We're able. You feel that? Can you go for it? Can we go for it? Can we make an impact? This little tribe? Anything else? Yeah. The love? Love is powerful, isn't it? Love is a lot more powerful than hate. Real loud. Because Jesus overcame, we can overcome. Yeah. Some of you during lunch will want to speak to one another. Some of you will want to see the DVD, which really fits well with what you just heard. I saw it, really impressed by it. By impressed, the power of love. That's what it's called, power and love. And uh, it's the power of love. So I'd encourage you, if you can't see it today, see it some other time. We'll show it again. But it'll be in the living room, and we'll put it on during lunch. In a little bit, we're going to go to lunch. 
I want to pray for you. And then before we get up and uh, head upstairs, I want you to turn to somebody next to you and pray something about what you heard. I trust that uh, as we've been talking about the harvest, you're beginning to get a desire to be in the harvest. That we do not want to hide out as this safe church here, hide out praying for Jesus to come before the devil cleans us that that we want to we're invaders we're here as aliens moving in invading with confidence of god in our hearts this isn't hype this is love so i'm going to pray this is not a big group but remember gideon where god actually said you have way too many people god wasn't about mega so we can think we got to have these big numbers god actually says you have way too many and so 22,000 left, and they were reduced to 10,000. So it went from mega, 32,000, to 10,000, and Gideon's going, well, I think we can do it with this 10. God says, no, 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 this is still too big. God strips it down to where they only have 300. Now, I know there's not quite 300 here, but you see God goes from 32,000 to 300 and says, this is the group I want. We're well able to win this battle. So we can't ever think it's about numbers. God actually takes great delight in reducing the numbers so that all the glory goes to him. And so he doesn't need a lot of money and a lot of buildings and a lot of that programs and big stuff that sucks our money. He needs a lean, well-equipped army that believes that the Holy Spirit in them is greater than any junk in the world. I was 10 years old when I heard a missionary message, and that changed me. I raised my hand, and I knew from then on that I was called to do this stuff. Uh, you may have heard something today, and it's stirred in your heart. She'll stick around, and others will stick around if you want prayer, just to confirm something in your heart. I'm going to pray for you now. Jesus, we hear your words, and you said the harvest is plentiful. That both excites us and it saddens us because we know that people are going into eternity that are not being encountered by Jesus Christ before they die. And it's like overripe peaches who are thrown out, who are trashed. And that saddens us. And I pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would do something in our hearts with regard to the harvest so that love would overcome fear. That the fear that some of us feel as we think about the harvest would be overcome by love. Would you, would you strengthen our love quota these days? I pray that where, where we have things in our past that seem to pull us back, that we would uh, be able to be healed of those, get past those. So it's not about us. It's about denying ourselves, in fact, because we have an assignment given by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I bless my friends here today as they ponder what they've heard, as we continue to focus on the harvest, that we will uh, respond, that we will ask the Lord of the harvest to send out labors, but that we then ourselves would, would commit ourselves to be a part of the harvest that is taking place around the world, 30,000 a day in China and, and uh, 
not quite that many, but many in India, Nigeria, that we would see a harvest happening right in our midst in the Twin Cities because you are moving in our hearts and we are saying, yes, I want to say today, Jesus, I will follow you so that you can make me a fisher of men. Can you say that? I will follow you so you can make me a fisher of men. Now turn to somebody. I'm just going to bless the food now. We bless the food. We bless our time together. We bless our fellowship together. Turn to someone next to you and pray something regarding the harvest before we uh, go upstairs.